The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 117. Psalm 117. And if you, if you grew up in a Christian environment, you probably remember learning some, some Bible trivia when you were younger. Uh, you probably learned that the shortest verse in the Bible is John 11.35, Jesus wept. You probably learned that the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119, and it's made up of 176 verses. And you probably learned that the shortest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 117. Uh, The great Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said about this psalm that it is very little in its letter, but exceedingly large in its spirit. It is both short and sweet. Another preacher remarked that there's always the temptation, he said, to overlook the little fellow. This little fellow, however, has a mighty voice. He packs a powerful punch. He's not about to be ignored, nor is he about to be overshadowed by Psalm 119. We have a pygmy and a giant among the Psalms, almost next-door neighbors. And I agree with another who commented that the shortest Psalm proves to be one of the most potent. And I think he's right. Let's take a closer look at its important message together. Follow along as I read Psalm 117. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Let's consider together for a few moments a short word of praise. And let's look to the Lord for his help. Father, we thank you, and thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for the promises in your word, the ones that were just testified to and and sung about. And we, we thank you for hearing our request to teach us to praise. May our hearts be convinced again of your your great praiseworthiness, and may you renew our commitment to praise you from a true understanding of who you are. Lord, we seek your help as we preach, as we listen, and as we seek to live out the truths of your word. And we seek this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm sure you would agree with me. This is an an obvious reality, one that we all know personally, one that we can view around us, and that is that people praise. People praise. That's just how we are. Now, we don't always praise the right things. We don't always praise them in the right proportion, but all of us praise. I remember many times when I've seen an athlete, maybe one who just won a major golf tournament or a team that just won a championship, and you hear the coaches, the players offering praise. They're praising different people. And you and I do that. We we praise our favorite restaurant. We praise our treasured dish there. We praise an app that we like using. We praise books that we liked reading. Uh, We praise the team that we're cheering for. We praise stores that we like to shop in, the country that we want to win the World Cup. And on and on, people like us praise. And it's not surprising that the Bible has a lot to say about our praise. 
Some form of the word praise is used here in the book of Psalms nearly 200 times. In fact, you noticed in what we read, the word praise is used three times in this, the shortest of all psalms. Something else notable and commendable about this psalm is how concise it is. In our home, most often, most nights, just before bedtime, uh, we pray together as a family. And usually, we, we have everyone pray, and we go from the youngest to the oldest. Now, sometimes my daughter will prevail upon us. She'll say, let's pray backwards, which means I get to start and she gets to finish. But usually it's youngest to oldest. And, and our daughter, as I said, who is the youngest, quite a few times her prayer has been something like this. Father, thank you for this day and help everyone to pray a short prayer. Now, we're working with her on offering better petitions and sometimes she does. But her desire is understandable after all. She has four or five more prayers to wait through before the light can go out and she can go to sleep. But this psalm succeeds at being both compact and to the point. And it's something that we can appreciate about it. But scripture has so much to say about praise and it's not surprising, it's appropriate. And it's fitting that so many of our hymns and songs reflect this priority. We sing praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. We sing, praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed redeemer. We sing songs of praises, songs of praises will I ever give to thee. And like we did this morning, most of us have sung the doxology many times, which tells us, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. God calls us to be people of praise. God calls us to be people of praise. Well, how can we become that? Well, there are three features of this psalm that can help us toward that goal, that can help us to become people of praise. Notice, first of all, the call to praise in verse 1. Look back at it. It says, Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. So notice this call to praise. First, it is universal. You noted there, didn't you, the repetition of the word all, all ye nations, all ye people. So this call applies to every one of us today. I'm sorry if you were hoping for a message that was just for your teachers, or maybe just for your fellow students, or just for your roommate, or just for your friends, because this is for all of us, every one of us. It is a universal call. But then notice that this call to praise is also a bit unexpected. The opening line of the psalm is addressed to this, Oh, praise the Lord, and it says, All ye nations. Now, contrast that with the verse that comes right before it. Back up to the last verse of Psalm 116. It says, In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. Now, that verse that comes right before it is very focused, very local. It's talking about a specific geographical city, Jerusalem, and then a place within that city, the temple. But here in in Psalm 117, this first verse, he pairs together two very interesting things. He says, praise the Lord. That is the Lord's name that you've studied, Jehovah. It's God's covenant name. It speaks of his unique relationship with Israel. But then he, he puts that together, the name Jehovah, with the word nations. And nations, you've probably heard this, it, it refers to the Gentiles. It's, in Hebrew, it's goyim. It refers to the pagan, the heathen. Everybody except Israel. The book of Psalms uses this word that's translated here, nation, 60 times. It's translated either as heathen or nation. 
And it's, it's used in a couple ways. Sometimes it speaks of these nations apart from God in the context of judgment. So they have been or they will be judged by God. For example, the famous second psalm begins with this question, why do the heathen rage? That's our, our word here. And the people imagine a vain thing. We see it also in Psalm 9, which says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations, that's the same word, that forget God. But this word is also used, it's not just used in the idea of judgment, it's also used in the context of blessing. This is something that we all should be glad about, since it applies to most of us. But it's used in the context of blessing as these nations that are not part of Israel, but they come to know and honor the true God. You know that the book of Psalms is made up of five books. And each one of those five books within the book of Psalms, each of them include a call for all nations, all people to praise the God of Israel. A great example of that is from the first book is Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is that great messianic psalm, and it prophesies that all the kindreds of the nations, that's our same word, all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. Remember that psalm speaks of Christ's suffering. It, for, it prophesies and foretells that. And so through Christ's suffering, notice this, all nations will praise him. Psalm 72 also talks about this future messianic reign. And it says that all nations, again, the same word, shall call him blessed. So here he is calling, in Psalm 117, he's calling all the foreign nations to praise the one true God. And even the second line of this verse, Psalm 117, one even broadens it and says, all ye people. So this praise, this call to praise is universal. It is, it's unexpected, but it's also multifaceted. Now, let me point out that it says, praise the Lord, all ye nations, praise him. The two words for praise, there are two different words for praise. The first one is the more general one, the one we'd be more familiar with. It's used over 150 times in the Bible. And not surprisingly, most of those times are found in the book of Psalms. And usually it is, it is like it is here, a command, showing us that this is not something we might or might not do, but it is essential that we praise him. And then usually it's used in the plural to remind us of the importance of congregationally praising God something that pastor reminded us of yesterday and last week. But the second word that's used here for praise in verse 1 is one that's, that's not used much at all. It's only used about 11 times in the Old Testament. And when you pair them together, it is instructing us that God ought to be praised and commended and exalted and adored and sung to and boasted in and magnified, and we are the ones that ought to do that. Together, these words command us that we should express to him that we're truly impressed by him and that we're truly satisfied in him. So this first feature of this psalm is this call to praise. There's a second feature that follows right away, and that is the cause for praise in the next verse, in the first part of it. Look down at verse 2. It says, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endureth forever. That word for at the beginning of verse 2 connects it with the previous verse. Okay, we're called to praise, but why should we do that? Here are the reasons. Notice that God doesn't want our praise of him to be uninformed. He doesn't want our praise to be ignorant. That is pagan worship. That's not the worship of the God of the Bible. God calls for meaningful praise from us, not mindless praise. When we go through the book of Psalms, we see reason after reason given for why God deserves our praise. 
why he's worthy of that. And even though this psalm is so concise, it's no different from that. It contains solid reasons why you and I should praise Jehovah. And two reasons are given here. The first reason is because of his enormous loving kindness. It says in verse 2, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. The subject here, what this is referring back to is, is Exodus chapter 20, where God, Jehovah, meets with Israel at Mount Sinai, and God announces, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That was God's great expression of his loving kindness to them. It is what they celebrated in their Passover year after year. When it says, your merciful kindness is great toward us, that, that is a, a phrase that's used in other, sen- other places with the sense of prevailing. You're probably familiar with, with some of these. You, you remember this story well. It's from Exodus 17. You've, you've heard this, most of you, since you were a child. It's describing Israel's battle with Amalek. And you remember that Moses didn't go into battle, but he's there interceding for the nation with his arms outstretched. And we're told there, it came to pass when Moses held up his hand, that is, he's praying, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Those words prevailed are the same word here, great. So through God, understand what's being said. Through God's love, through his merciful kindness, he has prevailed. He's prevailed over their enemies. And most powerfully, he's prevailed over the enemies of sin and death. That is something to praise him for. It reminds me of Romans chapter 5, which tells us, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Yes, God's grace, his gracious love has prevailed. And the sense of this psalm is that when all nations understand what God has done for Israel and through Israel and through Israel's Messiah, then what their Passover pointed to, they will truly praise him for that, like you and I do. Remember that Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers in Ephesians chapter 3, and his prayer for them, his great burden for them, was that they would understand the love of Christ. He says, I'm praying in Ephesians 3.18, that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Yes, his love is so great. It is, it is enormous. We should pray that God would help us to understand that, to grasp it. And when we do, we will, we will have no other option but to praise him for it. I think we have begun to grasp the enormity of his love, haven't we? We know what we deserve. We deserve eternal separation from God. And we deserve eternal punishment from God. All of us were born rebels, All of us were born defying God, defying his laws, and yet God planned salvation and God provided salvation at great cost. He gave his son, his son gave his life. Jesus bore the shame and we receive forgiveness and freedom in him. No wonder Charles Wesley wrote, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? It truly is, isn't it an amazing love? A love worth praising him for? So we're called to praise because of of his enormous loving kindness, but we're called to praise him also because of his eternal faithfulness. Look at the second part of verse 2. And the truth of the Lord endureth forever. 
this word truth speaks of God's trustworthiness, of his faithfulness. These words are are paired together, the merciful kindness and and the truth are paired together in Exodus 34, a great verse that, that many Old Testament verses refer back to. It's God's revealing himself at Sinai, and it says that he, he showed himself to be abundant in goodness and truth, the same two words that are used here. That God says, this is how I want to be known, a God who is abundant in goodness and truth. And that is what all people should praise him for, because he abounds in gracious love and faithfulness. And isn't it clear in this psalm that God's love and faithfulness, they're not something exclusive, only for these few But they are something inclusive because this psalm calls all nations and all people to praise him for it, assuming that they know him for that. It's a love and a faithfulness that begins with Israel but doesn't end with them. And I love how it's expressed here. His truth, his faithfulness endures forever. This idea that God's faithfulness endures forever is not some static idea. It means, as one explained, that God's plans and promises are as fresh and intact now as on the day they were made, and they will remain so. So there's a call to praise that opens this psalm. There there are causes for praise that are given here in the next verse. And then the third feature of this psalm is another call to praise at the end of verse 2. Look at it. It says, praise ye the Lord. So this psalm ends where it began. So notice that. Notice the finish here. It ends where it began with this command to praise Jehovah. But then notice this final call. Notice also the familiarity of it. You all know the Hebrew behind this. It's the very familiar expression, hallelujah. But also you should, we should point out the frequency of this call to praise. Again, look right above it in the verse right before it. Notice Psalm 116, verse 19, it says, praise ye the Lord. And if you back up a page and look at the last verse of Psalm 115, it's the same thing, praise the Lord. And we won't do it, but if you were to go ahead to the end of the book of Psalms, every one of the last five Psalms, 146 to 150, all five of them both begin and end with the same command, hallelujah, praise ye the Lord. This shows us the emphasis and the importance that God places on our praising him. So we see the call to praise and the causes for it and then another call to praise. But as we conclude, notice some closing concerns about praise. Now this is a little psalm, but it does ask some big questions of us. Consider a few of these questions that this psalm invites us to ask. First of all, We might ask the question, why is praise so important? Why is this psalmist making such a big deal about praise? Well, the reasons are simple. First, because God deserves it, because others need to hear it, and because we need to do it. We were created to praise, and we will praise, and we do praise someone or something. That is natural and good, but it ought to be proportionate. I shouldn't praise my favorite golf ball, the way that I praise God, or my favorite drink from the coffee shop, or my favorite app on my smartphone, or even my spouse. I shouldn't praise her the same way that I praise my Savior and Redeemer. Praise is important, and it ought to match the object of our praise. Here's a second question that that I think this psalm invites us to consider. 
Are you a person of praise? Are we people of praise? We mentioned the frequency of the word praise. We mentioned the call to praise in this book and and how it demonstrates what a priority it must be to those of us who truly want to honor God. So a natural question from that is, is that praise that we're reminded to do, that we're called to do, that God deserves, is that a mark of our lives? Does the place it have in our lives match the biblical evidence for its importance? Now, here's what we're not talking about. We're not talking about just repeating cliches all the time. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. But what we're talking about is in a heartfelt way, do we praise him for what he's done, for what he's promised to do for us? Is this something that we do privately? when No one else would know about it except God? Is this something that we enter into corporately when we meet together? When we sing songs of praise, are our hearts truly in it? You know well the the subject of the the book of Hebrews, and the author of Hebrews instructs his readers that they have Jesus. They're no longer under the Levitical sacrificial system. But he says this doesn't mean that you don't have any sacrifices. Because he says at the end of the book, Hebrews 13, 15, by him, that is by Jesus, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Here's another question that this psalm challenges us with. Do we long for all people to praise him? This psalmist, whoever he is, wants all people to praise the Lord. He understood correctly the promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis 12. When God promised to Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a nation of you. And I'm going to bless all nations through you. He understood that what he's asking for, what he's pleading for in this psalm is the fulfillment of that promise. And you and I are right to view this psalm as nothing less than a missionary psalm. As one commentator expressed it, this tiny psalm is great in faith and its reach is enormous. He's right. It reaches to every creature. It reaches to the uttermost part of the earth. This is a holy and righteous desire he has revealed in this psalm And it ought to be our desire too. In this psalm, God is calling all people to praise him. He's calling atheists and humanists and communists and Hindus and Buddhists and materialists to forsake their poor substitutes and praise instead the one true God. This is God's heart. It should be ours. It's interesting to go to the New Testament and see this psalm referred back to In Romans chapter 15, Paul is speaking about how Christ became a servant to fulfill God's promises to Israel and to redeem Gentiles. And as he makes his argument, he marshals Old Testament passages, various ones, to show that God's plan is to save both Jews and Gentiles. And one of the passages that he calls forth is Psalm 117.1. This is Romans 15.11. He's quoting from Psalm 117 says, and again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. Paul's pointing out the obvious. God's desire to save all people, including Gentiles, is a simple reality. It was not a novelty. Some were arguing against Paul, saying that's a new thing. Paul says, no, this is what God always intended to do. And it makes sense that that would be the ultimate fruition of this psalm. Because where do we see God's love more clearly than in Jesus? And where do we see the eternality of God's faithfulness more plainly 
than in our Lord Jesus Christ. Another question that this psalm challenges us with is our praise grounded in God's person? Is our praise grounded in who God is? One of the great traits of this psalm is that it contains the basics, the essentials of a praise psalm, a call to praise and the reason or the cause for that. It is so important that our praise is grounded in God's person and who he is and what he's revealed about himself in his word. A great challenge to my own heart about this has been the example of Mary in Luke chapter 1 and her praise to the Lord there. She's been told that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. She goes to meet with her relative Elizabeth, and from Elizabeth comes this blessing. And then in turn, from Mary comes this praise, a praise that's filled with Old Testament references and ideas and concepts and allusions and theology. She was, though a young woman, unmarried woman, she was steeped in the scriptures. And that is what leads us to God-honoring praise. Now, please don't misunderstand. This is not emotionless and dry, but her praise was grounded in solid biblical truth, as our praise should. Praise that pleases our God is not untethered emotionalism, but it is prayer that is grounded in historical happenings and theological truths. That's what caused one to say about this psalm, that the shortest of all the psalms is theologically one of the grandest. And as my my daughter can appreciate, our praise does not have to be long-winded, but it must always be well-grounded. One final question to challenge our hearts from this psalm, and that is, who is at the center of our life? Who is at the center of your life? Who's at the center of mine? Many people point out that this psalm is at the center of the Bible. Now, personally, I've not tried to calculate that. And that may be true. What we do know for sure is this. If you noticed in this psalm, three times in this little psalm, the personal name for God, that is Lord, Jehovah, is used. It's used at the beginning, at the end, and in the middle. In addition to that, there are two pronouns that are used in reference to God. So in this short psalm, there are five references to God. It's clear from this psalmist that he was, his life was centered on God. And we should understand that we were not made to operate with us at the center of our lives. Life malfunctions when we try to do it that way. If you're, you can imagine me taking my car out to the boat launch this weekend. We've got a holiday weekend, so I take my car out there and just drive it out into the water, expecting to enjoy a nice day out in the bay with my family. And then imagine me getting upset because in a few minutes we're all wet and the car is filling with water. No matter what lawyer I get from what billboard, my lawsuit against Chrysler is not going to get very far because that's not how that car was meant to be used. Or imagine me needing to do some laundry so I take my clothes and I put them in the dishwasher. Then I get upset because they don't turn out well at the end of the cycle. My complaint against Maytag will not be well received. That's not how that appliance was meant to be used. And when you and I operate our lives in a self-centered rather than a God-centered way, we really can't complain about our lack of joy, lack of fulfillment, lack of satisfaction, because that's not how we were meant to live. It's in the Lord and the fear of him that we find satisfaction and safety. 
And this little psalm calls us, it calls us to praise, but it also calls us to a healthy God-centeredness. And it calls us away from a damaging self-centeredness. And you and I ought to heed that call. You probably have noted this before, but this psalm comes from a group of six psalms. Psalm 113 to 118 are a group of psalms that are sometimes called the Egyptian Hallel. They were sung during Israel's annual feasts. And the group of psalms had a special place in the Passover celebration. From what we're told, they would sing Psalms 113 and 114 before the Passover meal, and then Psalms 115 to 118 after the meal. So after the Last Supper, Matthew records this, and when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. It's most likely that Jesus and his disciples, that's who he's talking about, that they sang this psalm after the Last Supper. So as we reflect this psalm, as we receive the teaching from it, we're simply following in the footsteps of our Savior. A great thing to do. Let's welcome his message to our hearts as God calls us to be people of praise. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.